Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm Christine Panton. I'm Steve Higgins. I'm Kelly Blair. This is Chuck Lordens. I'm Ranger Gord Tolton. I'm Ross Aiken. I'm Jonathan. I'm Brandon Peters. I'm Ali Steele. I'm Gavin Ritsa. I'm Logan McFarlane. I'm Dan Butcher. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We've made it. My voice might even hold up. <laughs> Issue 102 of Justice League of America, the conclusion to the 1972 Justice League Justice Society Seven Soldiers of Victory crossover. We are here. It was published on the 17th of August, 1972. That's barely a month before the, the birth of Matt Everett from menswear. Mm. Peter's going to tell you about the cover. Yes, we have the Justice League of America shield at the top. Top left corner, the DC logo. Top right corner, 20 cents button. There we are. Down the left-hand column is a sample of some of the roll call for this issue. Just some Justice Leaguers. It's nowhere near the number of heroes that are actually in this. But we have the headshots of Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Black Canary. And Green Arrow. All from Earth 1. Now, the main image on the cover is Superman standing atop a rock. There's a crackle of lightning behind him. Very dramatic. Mm. And surrounding this rock are the assembled heroes. We have Earth-1 Flash, Doctor Fate, Earth-1 Hawkman, Earth-2 Sandman, Black Canary, Earth-1 Green Arrow, Red Tornado, Earth-1 Green Lantern, and we also have Earth-1 Batman, Earth-2 Wonder Woman, and Aquaman of Earth-1. And Superman is dramatically pointing and saying, For the Earth to live, one of us must die. Gosh. Could the stakes be any higher? Possibly. No, probably not. <laughs> so any further ado, because a few people here have to be sure of getting their last train home. And some have come from very far away. Indeed. It's a truly international cast this week, listeners. Our opening splash panel is an image of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Crimson Avenger, Stripesy, Vigilante, the Star Spangled Kid, the Shining Knight, Speedy and Green Arrow, looking down at the Earth, held in the grip of the enormous, scary, taloned Green Hand. The captioning all reads, Concluding the monumental 100th anniversary adventure of the Justice League of America. It was going to be a party at first, but the interdimensional summons of Dr. Fate had changed that. Now it was a manhunt, a desperate quest that has led the members of the Justice League and Justice Society down the infinite corridors of time. The object of their search the Seven Soldiers of Victory, long-lost champions who alone can save their planet from the awesome nebulous hand that holds the Earth. But the price of such success may prove most terrible indeed. And the title of this epic conclusion, And, and One, one of, of Us Must Die. And the creator scroll list tells us this adventure is by Len Wein writer, Dick Dylan Penciler, Joe Giella and Dick Giordano inkers. Gosh, was the deadline looming? Must have been. Mm. The caption for the first panel properly on page two reads, In a place beyond places he sits, this all-knowing entity named Oracle. He sits and he ponders and weighs the fate of a world. 
And we see Oracle looking like an albino Alan Moore mm. sitting on an ornately sculpted throne. Like the body of this chair is sort of made up of sculpted human figures. It's really quite disturbing. Yeah, that's the word. It's a very scary, creepy mystery title host. Anyway, Oracle begins to speak. A strange feeling this, for it has been long since Oracle last cared about the survival of a mere planet. But care I do. And I find the sensation pleasant, perhaps with good reason. For was it not I who sent Earth's boldest heroes on their journey through time and space? Indeed it was. But now I would know more of those who stayed behind. How, for instance, fares Diana Prince, she who was once called Wonder Woman. And we see Diana as we left her last issue. Not well, it seems, for she is beset by the Iron Hand, whose nebuloid namesake is the cause of the great quest, and she knows not her danger. And the next panel, we see Robin and Mr. Terrific, still swinging on Green Lantern's trapeze, still rescuing the chill from the earthquake, as Oracle observes. Nor do the other heroes who strive to protect their world. Green Lantern, Robin, Mr. Terrific. I could end their problems in an instant. But I am bound not to interfere. And in the final panel of page two, Oracle raises a fist at the reader and declares, It is decided man must make his own destiny. But if on this bleak day he falls in final defeat, a small part of Oracle shall die as well. And the caption at the top of page three says, And even as Oracle speaks, three of those destiny makers suddenly find themselves upon the side of a wooded hill. And we get logos for Green Arrow, Black Canary and the incomparable Johnny Thunder. The heroes are stood under a tree in a wooded area. Green Arrow speaks first. I don't know where Oracle dumped us, but the man has taste. So I notice, but we'd better start hunting for her. Hey! Canary breaks off. Because Johnny Thunder has taken her arm, he says, Great idea, Canary. You and me will go this way and meet up with Green Arrow later on. Green Arrow grabs Canary's other arm, saying, Hang on, Thunder. That's my lady you're bending. Your lady? I knew Black Canary for more years than you've got arrows. And a very perturbed Canary cries, What? And she pulls free of both men, saying, I've got news for you, chauvinists. I happen to be my own lady, and I intend to see it stays that way. Green Arrow says, Huh? Johnny exclaims, Ugh! And Canary finishes by saying, If you all want to go hero hunting, fine. But if you want to play tug-of-war, find yourselves a new rope. Green Arrow has a very serious face at that. But Johnny has noticed something in the distance. He says, Hey, maybe we don't have to hunt. Look over there. Smoke! Cautiously, the time-tossed trio follows the curling column of smoke. Until at last they come upon... Well, very helpfully, Johnny says... An Indian village! And we see a group of what we unenlightened children of the 70s would call teepees, tents and stuff. Black Canary says... Well, at least we know where we are now. Somewhere on the North American plains. Only question left is, who are we searching for? Offhand, Green Arrow, I would say it was him. And as the heroes move towards the village, we see a familiar figure in blue denim with a white hat and a red face mask, tied up and being led at spear point towards a pillar in the ground that's been, uh oh, surrounded by what looks like firewood to me. Green Arrow observes and says, The vigilante a prisoner. They're going to burn him at the stake. And Johnny Thunder cries, Too bad this ain't the movies or the cavalry would be coming to the rescue by now. 
Green Arrow brings his bow forward, saying, Calvary hasn't been invented yet, Bright Eyes, so I'm afraid our lonesome cowboy will just have to settle for us. Maybe not, G.A. I'll call my magic thunderbolt, and he can conjure up a cavalry for us. Say you! And a footnote reminds us, Say you, the Bagnesian hex that gives Johnny control of the genie-like thunderbolts. The mystic words spoken, Johnny Thunder awaits the almost instantaneous appearance of his supernatural servant. But, after several long minutes... Johnny rubs the top of his head, saying, The thunderbolt didn't show. That's never happened before. There's a first time for everything, pal. He probably got as tired of you as I have. Now come on, we got us a cowboy to rescue. There is a faint rustle of the tree branches as the daring trio moves forward. And suddenly... Several Native Americans drop from the trees. We've been discovered. Really? I never would have guessed. The battle is short, and not very sweet at all. And we see the heroes unconscious on the ground. They're now captors standing over them. A slow dissolve. And when Green Arrow, Black Canary and Johnny Thunder finally regain consciousness... We're inside a tent. The heroes are sat with their arms tied behind their backs. I suppose you'd probably call him the tribe's medicine man. Standing before them, he says, So, White Skins, you awaken at last. You are weak enemies indeed. Queen Arrow says, Hate to disappoint you, Doc, but we came here in peace. Well, that's right. We have no wish to harm y'all. You lie. I have spoken to the buffalo spirit, and he has told me you must die. Or other White Skins will one day come to kill the buffalo and steal away our land. Cracking shot of this chap here, we can see his headdress with a, you know, with a dead buffalo and... His pigtails and stuff, very, very effective and probably incredibly racist and incredibly dated by the time we read it now, 50-odd years later. He seems to conjure a cloud of smoke which falls towards our heroes. Gotta admit, you've got a powerful argument, friend, but I still wish you'd reconsider. No, the spirits have spoken. When next the moon is full, you will die, as will die the other white-skinned one, tonight. And moments later... I see that Vigilante is now tied to the stake. Good grief, he says. Still time to change your mind, hombre. I'm telling you, you got the wrong man. And the tribe medicine man, holding a flaming torch, replies. Silence, white skin. We kill you only in our own defense. A voice says off camera. In that case, you won't mind if we happen to defend ourselves? And an arrow flies in, knocking the torch from the medicine man's hand and slicing the rope that's holding Vigilante to the stake. Astonishing. The medicine man screams, Hi! And Vigilante says, Well, I'll be swaggered. I don't know who all you rannies are, but I ain't never been happier to see anybody. And we see that Canary and the others are free, somehow, and start to fight. Green Arrow says, Time for introductions later, Vig. After we get you out of here. Well then, why don't I lend you a hand? These Jaspers are so primitive... They didn't even bother to take my irons. And with some blam blams, Greg starts firing indiscriminately into the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) For several moments, the vigilante's man-made thunder splits the air, until the sound is drowned out by a greater thunder still. And indeed, a huge rumble sound effect drifts through the panel, as Johnny says. Hey, sounds like like it's gonna rain. I only wish it were, Johnny. Take a look over there. Buffalo! Heading this... This way! What are we gonna do? Do... Do now! 
and suddenly there's a pink flash of light in the sky from which a voice emerges. Funny you should ask that. And Johnny yells in the next panel. Thunderbolt? Where in blazes have you you been? I called you hours ago. Sorry, pal, but it took me a thousand years to find you. You are off the beaten path, you know. So tell me, what can I undo for you? Those buffalo. You got gotta stop them. Your wish is my command. As soon as you say those two little magic words. But I can't can't talk. That witch man's magic magic dust is given given me hiccups. Sorry, a ruler of the ridiculous. No passwords. No magic. Say, you idiot! Do you want those monsters to trample us into corn mash? Do something! Them was the words, chief. The bemused Thunderbolt studies the onrushing herd. Then, with a casual wave of his hand, he turns them into... Butterflies? You gotta be kidding! And as he gestures and causes this havoc, the Thunderbolt says... Look, I don't tell you how to run your business, do I? Besides, those bison will change back to normal when they've calmed down. Vigilante puts his hand on the Thunderbolt's shoulder and indicates the approaching tribesmen. Maybe so, but what are we going to do about them? Ah, uh, that crew? I'll just... But suddenly, all five are caught up in a billowing cloud. Johnny says, Smoke, we're fading away. Thunderbolt. Is this your doing? Sorry, pretty lady, but I can't take credit for this one. Then it must be Oracle. Our mission here is finished, and he's bringing us home. Meanwhile, centuries away, three more strangely garbed men hurtle through the misty sky, their eyes carefully scanning the prehistoric terrain below. And we get the logos for Aquaman, Wildcat, and Green Lantern. Green Lantern is flying through a conspicuously pink sky, bearing Aquaman and Wildcat on a power ring created couch. Aquaman says, Still no sign of where we've ended up, Wildcat. And Wildcat, looking down at the very craggy and rough and deserty, boulder filled <laughs> landscape below them, replies, Afraid not, Aquaman. You can't tell one rock from another down there. Green Lantern creates a pointing hand with his ring, saying, Hey, Looks like there's more than a rambling rock garden below us. And a pale yellow cloud can be seen in the background of the next panel, as Aquaman says, Cavemen, crow magnon from the looks of them. Wildcat says, Well, at least we know when we are, 50,000 years in the past. And we see down on the ground a group of spear-carrying cavemen, as if they were straight out of one million years BC. Green Lantern observes, Appears they've cornered some wild animal in that cave. Suddenly, a massive, distorted, blue and red figure emerges from the cave, and Wildcat cries, That's no wild animal, Lantern. It's the Star Spangled Kid. But as the dauntless trio swoops groundward to investigate... They all suddenly crash the ground, Green Lantern saying, Brace yourselves! We're gonna splatter! And there's an oomph from Wildcat. When the hapless heroes regain their feet... What the heck happened to your power ring, Lantern? You forgot to recharge it? No, it's this blasted yellow fog. The area is thick with it, and my ring is powerless against that particular color. You can see the 
yellow fog drifting through these panels. Aquaman points behind them and says, Fellas, take a peek over there. We look over the hero's shoulders in panel three and see the speedy cavemen are approaching them. Green Lantern says, Uh-oh, without my ring to back us up, we're gonna have to fight our way into that cave. Fight? That's my speciality. Get ready to follow my lead. And in panel four, the cat punched out two cavemen at once, saying, If we can't go past these guys, we're gonna go through them. One caveman falls back with an A sudden motion from the shadows, and... With a roar, massive roar, an absolute giant of a caveman looms into view through the yellow mist. Green Lantern points and says, Here comes somebody who wants to argue the point, Wildcat. And Aquaman says, And it'll be rough on anyone who disagrees with him. Well, I disagree with him, says Wildcat, and I want to know how his argument stands up against cold hard facts. Basically, Wildcat confronts the giant, ducking, weaving and punching, saying, Fact one, this prehistoric Goliath moves like a weak supply of exhausted molasses. Crunch! Into the face of the giant caveman, and the caveman's enormous. Make sure you check out the foreign reprint covers I post for, for the story listeners for a slightly alternate take on what's going on in this sequence. Panel three, fact two, she's arguing with the Hex heavyweight champion of the whole wide world, and I don't like to lose an argument. And with that seems to be enough, the giant caveman goes flying backwards. The sky is darkening in panel four. The giant flattens back. All the other cavemen are running off. To which Wildcat says, Hey, where's everybody going? I thought they wanted to fight. See that rain is starting to fall as Green Lantern says, Okay, Wildcat, you made your point. As Aquaman moves into the cave, he says, I suppose we start searching for the star-spangled kid. Wildcat holds up a hand as he notices the change in the weather. He moves forward saying, Why not? It's beginning to rain out here anyway. Moments later, within the great stone chamber... Inside the cave, the three heroes have spotted some large chunks of crystal. Green Lantern says... So that's how the kid managed that illusion. A primitive projector made of quartz and scrap metal. Ingenious, but where is the kid himself? And Wildcat points and says... Hiding in one of those side tunnels, I bet. You're probably right. The question is, why? We find the answer to that when we find the star-spangled kid. And with that, the heroes all start moving off down their own little passageways. And Wildcat says, Checking this maze out could take forever. Let's each take a different tunnel and meet back here when we've made the rounds. Long minutes pass as the three adventurers scour the cavern's countless corridors. Until at last, the Sea King spies... Aquaman thinks to himself, Something in the shadows up ahead. The star-spangled kid... And we see the Star Spangle Kid hunched up in a smaller cave. As Aquaman approaches him, Star Spangle Kid looks up and says, Who? I like the star's fellow human being. Bal, how'd you find me here? I'll explain that later. What I want to know now is, why have you been hiding in this cave? To protect the future of the human race. I've got a terrible case of the flu. If even one of those primitive ancestors of ours were to catch the disease for me and die, it could alter the course of history. Aquaman puts a finger to his lips in the final panel of page 11, saying, Shh! That's rumbling noise. It sounds like a flood! The caves are suddenly filled with rushing, surging, pounding water. Aquaman continues, when it rains in this prehistoric world, it pours. The force of the water sends the Star Spangle Kid falling backwards. Within instance, the raging torrent fills the rough-hewn chamber. Aquaman swims over to Sylvester, thinking, 
The water's impact has knocked the kid colder than a penguin's nose. Better get him out of here before he drowns. Then come back for GL and Wildcat. Like a salmon returning to the spawning ground, the underwater wonder pits his mighty sinews against the surging flood tide. And... Aquaman again, thanks. Difficult to make any headway against this current. For anyone else it would be impossible. Hope my partners in peril can hold out till I can get them. When suddenly... What? A great green goldfish bowl, enclosing us in a bubble of air. Seems I underestimated my colleagues. Aquaman and the Sarspangle Kid are being borne out of the water. Swiftly, the glowing globe manoeuvres its way through the floodwaters, bringing Aquaman and the Sarspangle Kid into the company of... Green Lantern, but you said the yellow fog disrupted your power ring. Green Lantern and Wildcat perched on a rock, in the rain, under the cover of a huge power ring-generated umbrella. Green Lantern replies to Aquaman. It did, but the driving rain washed the fog away. Hey, I see you found our pint-sized prize package. And Green Lantern bears Aquaman and Sylvester up so they are standing on the rock beside them. Green Lantern says, Then we've done all we set out to do here. All that remains now is for Oracle to bring us back again. Instantly, a great cloud of smoke swirls around the four strange figures, and they are gone. Let us adjust the curtain of time and space to focus on three more of our century-spanning searchers as they step back onto the plane of reality. Yes, we get logos for The Flash, Zatanna the Magician, and a nice twisty one for The Red Tornado. A burst of light and smoke. And our three heroes have appeared by the sea. Zatanna says, Wow, that was quite a ride. Where did the Oracle deposit us? My relativity sensors indicate we've landed on a small Mediterranean island, Zatanna. In that case, it shouldn't take me more than a few seconds to check the island for our missing soldier, says the Flash, before rushing off, continuing, Wait here, I'll be right back. But Zatanna says, What, and miss all the fun? Hang on, Flash, we're coming with you. Sagam Tiprak Rapig. And a footnote reminds us to... Read Zatanna's mystic commands backwards. But obviously, we'll just quickly translate that as magic carpets appear. And a super speed scrutiny of the small isle reveals... Flash Red Tornado and Zatanna on her flying carpet come into view and spot another familiar figure also dressed in red. Tornado says... Look, on the crest of that hill, the object of our quest... Right, Red Tornado. That's our boy. Speedy. Hey, Speedy, over here. You've got company. But as the boy Bowman moves toward his three friendly pursuers... <gasps> Something's happened to him. He's... he's... Speedy has become a centaur. Red Tornado there telling us what we see, that the lower half of Roy's body is that of a white horse. He still is his own quiver of arrows, of course, and he draws an arrow and fires it at the other heroes. What sorcery could have caused such a... And Flash speeds her out of the way, saying, Heads up, Zatanna, or you may not live long enough to find out. And then a voice off panel suddenly says, Cease! Who dares trespass upon the Isle of Ayer? Tornado whirls his head and says, What? And in panel two, there's the reveal of a very slinky and sexy lady in a very fitted long green dress and... She's holding a wand. She introduces herself, saying, I am the sorceress Circe, and these are my faithful servants. She's surrounded before young men who've been afflicted in a similar way to Speedy. There's one lad who has the body of a lion, another seems to have the, the horns of a bull. Zatanna observes, Of course, 
According to Greek legend, Circe had the power to turn ordinary men into hybrid animals. That's what you've done to Speedy. Quite correct, wench. He's far more manageable this way. But what do you want here on Circe's Isle? The Flash points towards Speedy, saying, We have come for him, sorceress. The centaur stands beside you. Return him to his normal state and we will leave you in peace. Certainly, Spawn of Mercury. If you want your friend's companionship so dearly, you shall have it. By joining him in my menagerie. And as she says this, Saucy gestures with her wand towards Speedy's quiver. Flash spots this and says, Brace yourselves, group. She's planning something tricky. Speedy has drawn an arrow that glows with a pink energy. Saucy says, Indeed I am. I've enchanted the young bowman's shafts. Should an arrow so much as touch you, you shall become that which is most repugnant to you. Off panel, the Flash says, She means it. Everyone, scatter! Speedy can't hit all of us! And three twangs of a long bow later... We see the Flash speeding away, being chased by a glowing green arrow, and he's thinking, That glowing arrow's enchanted. No matter how I dodge and weave, it follows right along behind me. I'm starting to catch up. Better pour on the super speed. But even before the Crimson Comet can complete his thought, the blunt tip shaft strikes him squarely, and... The Flash is transformed. Barry says out loud, Good Lord, my wife Iris used to call me the slowest man alive, and how right she now is. I've become half-snail. Listeners, I have to tell you, this is grotesque. Yes. His legs have gone, but his body sort of stops at his belt, and it just joins into the body of a snail, and he has developed antenna at the front of his head, and it's just, oh, it's horrible. It's very distressing. The caption for panel three reads, While halfway across the island... Zatanna, back on her flying carpet, is trying to outrace another arrow. And Zatanna thinks, That brick wall I conjured up isn't slowing the arrow down. Unless I quickly come up with the proper spell, it'll be... too late! And she's struck. And then Zatanna is also transformed. She thinks, The arrow turned me into a hummingbird. To make matters worse, it's frozen my vocal cords. I can't utter a counteracting spell. And indeed... Her arms have turned into wings, I'm miming wings, for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, and her lower body has changed into a tail section. Weird, but not quite as grotesque as the Flash, (laughs) and interestingly, her hat stays on. (laughs) Caption for the next panel. And for the third target... Red Tornado is whirling away, and as he sees what's happened to the Flash, he thinks... Speedy's arrow is like a heat-seeking missile following me wherever I go. Eh? I see Flashy's arrow has caught up to him. Got to help. But as the red tornado storms to Flashy's side... And Reddy is also caught by his arrow, saying... The diversion let the magical arrow overtake me, hit me, give me the body of a mole. And the implication here is terrifying to me, quite frankly. The merging of robot body and mole flesh, like his hands yeah. and arms have turned into like, you know, big claws. The same's happened to his feet. You'd look at this panel and be forgiven for thinking <laughs> that his cape merges into his lower quarters. It's mm. hideous. Mm. The Flash, who's there, he's quite chipper about it all. He says, Welcome to the club, Reddy. You try spinning now and you'll drill yourself into the ground. Cersei says, A fitting fate, is it not, Fleet One? And we see her with Speedy beside her. Flash says, Cersei, why have you done this to us? We meant you no harm. No, you wanted my young centaur, and no one may touch what is Circe's with impunity. You shall remain as you are until you die, a fate not long in coming. 
Her wand again glows as she continues. Under my enchantment, you two shall battle unto death as a lesson to others who would seek to annoy Cersei. Red Tornado says, Can't help myself. Cersei is forcing me to obey. Flash and Red Tornado turn to face each other and start twirling and spinning their hands at each other. Cersei has climbed onto Speedy's centaur back and as he rides off, she says, It should be a splendid super speed struggle. Would that I could remain to witness it. But there are other matters that demand Cersei's attention immediately. The sorceress gallops off into the distance, leaving behind two struggling victims of her magic. And one almost forgotten in the heat of the moment. Zatanna hovers above the battling and whirling Retornado and Flash. And she thinks, Got to find a way to stop them before they kill each other. The winds they're creating are knocking me around like a ping pong ball. Wait a minute. That humming... My wings, vibrating at this incredible speed, create a sound. If I can control that noise, I might be able to duplicate the sound of my voice and counteract Cersei's spell. Desperately, the mistress of the occult experiments with her newly gained pinions, performing countless different maneuvers in an attempt to achieve a variety of sounds. This is a great panel. I hope there's room for it in the socials. A nice, fantastic little montage of Zatanna flying around and making different noises to try and create something. Until, at last, Zatanna has managed to sound the words. Which translates as, magic of Cersei, be gone. And Zatanna thinks to herself, Thank the stars, it's working. Flash and Red Tornado are returning to normal. And as Cersei's magic wears off Zatanna herself, Zatanna drops. Flash catches her as her arms and legs return to normal. She says, Thanks for the handy net, Flash. It's difficult staying aloft without wings. So I noticed. Do me a favour, Satana. Next time you cancel an enchantment, make sure you're standing on the ground. Need I remind you we still have Speedy to rescue? I haven't forgotten Tornado. In fact, I figured out how to do it. A short while later, in the gracious temple that is the island's sole structure, we see Cersei and her menagerie, and the Flash arriving to confront her, as he's saying, I've come back from my friend, Cersei, and this time I'm taking him. To you again, Scarlet One. You learn your lessons hard. For your insolence, I will turn you into a lowly earthworm. Red Tornado starts twirling his arms as he says, I wouldn't do that, sorceress. His wife wouldn't like it. And I'll take your wand. You're too dangerous to have a loaded weapon. No, it cannot be, says Cersei as the wand flies from her hand and Zatanna says, Why say that, Cersei, when it obviously is? Isris Imoke Dezillerap. Which obviously translates to Cersei become paralysed. At Zatanna's command, Cersei becomes motionless and almost instantly... Yes, we see the effects of her magic starting to wear off for all the boys that she had captured. Speedy rubs his head. The effect of this starts to take place and he says... Where am I? What's happened? Who, Who are you? Flash replies... It's a long story, Speedy. We'll fill you in later. Right now, we have to dispose of Cersei. And at this point, Red Tornado snaps her wand and he says, I've taken care of that, Flash. Without a wand, she is powerless. With her wand no more, Cersei's pets are regaining their true forms. Yes, we see all the the boys shedding their animal forms and returning to normal. There's nothing left to keep us here. Except for the problem how to find our way back home, says the Flash. Suddenly... Looks like Oracle solved that problem for us. We're fading out, says Zatanna. As the heroes seem to float up and dissolve into blue smoke, Speedy says, Hey, what's going on here? I don't understand any of this. 
You will, youngster, assuming we return to our world in time. In the hands of all-knowing Oracle, time is a celestial clay to be sculptured as he sees fit. Now he folds the clay in upon itself, gathering the scattered edges, bringing the greatest assortment of super-beings ever recorded to the Justice Society's sanctuary. A very impressive image of all the heroes who've been rescued and all the heroes who've found them, all the members of the JSA and the Seven Soldiers and the special guest stars. I shall recap quickly. We see the Crimson Avenger, Sandman, Metamorpho, Hawkman, Doctor Midnight, Hourman, Starman, the Shining Knight, the Flash, Stripesy, Doctor Fate, Wildcat, Elongated Man, two Green Arrows, Green Lantern, the Atom, Superman, Batman, Red Tornado, if I haven't said him already, Aquaman, Zatanna, Speedy, Black Canary, Wonder Woman, Star Spangled Kid, Johnny Thunder and Vigilante. And in the midst of all this, Superman says, all present and accounted for. And the Flash says, the seven soldiers of victory together, once again. And then Johnny Thunder says, but if the seven soldiers are all here, who's buried in the unknown soldier's tomb? And he's answered by Mr. Terrific, who arrives and says, we can answer that, Johnny. Green Lantern, Robin, Mr. Terrific, where have you been? And then Robin answers, to the top of the Himalayas, where we discovered... But he's interrupted by the Crimson Avenger, who says... No, friend. Let me tell everyone what you found. The unknown soldier of victory is my aide and companion, Wing. It was he who died to defeat the Nebula Man. And if there is any justice in this world, he was buried where he fell. With honours. Green Lantern Alan Scott puts a supportive hand on a Crimson shoulder and says... He was indeed, Crimson Avenger. Holy men from a nearby temple witnessed the battle and laid your friend to rest when it was over. He was as brave a man as ever lived. You've a right to be proud of him. Nobody will live long enough to be proud, says Wildcat, unless we get to work rebuilding the weapon that Wing used to defeat the Nebula Man. And Wildcat is answered off panel by a voice saying, You'll do nothing, friends, if you value this pretty lady's life. Vigilante whirls and asks, Who? The owner of the voice is revealed in the first panel of page 20. As Superman exclaims, Diana! And the Crimson says, And the Iron Hand, our old archenemy. But that Jasper's supposed to be dead. Not dead, Vigilante. Merely damaged. With an Iron Hand as proof. The Iron Hand is holding Diana Prince by the throat with his left hand and has the index finger of his right Iron Hand pointed at her head as he continues, An Iron Hand that shall scatter... Diana Prince all over the countryside if anyone here is so foolish as to make a threatening move towards me. And in case you doubt my hand's power... And with that, he points upwards, fires an explosive charge with a... <laughs> like that bit in Android Invasion when the Doctor asks if the finger's loaded. That's maybe, <laughs> maybe Terry Nation read this comic. Later Diana suddenly tips forward, clutching her shoulder, saying... Please, you wouldn't... Oh, I, I, I think I'm going to faint. Huh? exclaims the hand. For an instant, the iron hand is distracted. And that instant is all Diana Wonder Woman Prince needs. Diana whirls with a karate chop. She snaps the iron hand's iron hand. Snaps over the wrist. He exclaims, My mechanical hand, you've severed it. Diana does a judo throw and flings the iron hand over her shoulder. He goes flying with an ah! Consider yourself lucky. I could have done that to your neck. As we arrive at the top of page 21, Diana twists the hand's left arm behind his back 
Batman says, Costumed or not, you're still a wonder, Diana. Diana, not impressed. As she secures the hand on the ground, she replies, Save the compliments for later, Batman. Right now we need information. Talk, Iron Mouth! Tell us how to stop that colossal hand of yours, or I'll take you apart a bone at a time. Yes, Diana is quite literally talking to the hand. He replies, Do what you want, lady. It makes no difference now. The controls were in my shattered hand. I couldn't deactivate my creation now, even if I wanted to. We're doomed, you bloody fools. Everyone is doomed, Dr. Fate says. Perhaps not, villain. And he turns to the Star Spangled Kid and Shining Knight and says, If the Seven Soldiers can recreate the weapon they built to destroy your earlier menace, the Nebula Man. What say you, soldiers? Can it be done? And the Star Spangled Kid gets a nice big close-up as he says, It's a question of time. The weapon itself is a lightning rod of sorts, gathering nebuloid energy from space, then channeling it against the opposing nebula threat. But it takes time to charge completely. More time than we have. Superman replies, saying, You just build the nebula rod, kid. Let us worry about charging it. Sylvester replies, It's a deal. I'll get you a list of the materials we'll need. The ticking of the clock is a staccato death knell as the greatest heroes of two worlds are put to the test. Swiftly, the genius of the Star-Spangled Kid and his fellow soldiers of victory reconstruct the amazing Nebula Rod. And we see Star-Spangled Kid, Speedy and the Shining Knight constructing the device, which looks like very much like an enormous sort of metallic cake icer to me. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, it looks like something from Frankenstein's laboratory. Yeah, really? yeah, you can expect it looks like some kind of big pointy conduit. Mm. And we see the Star Spangled Kid handing the, the rod to Superman. I, I like the difference in size in them here. It's, yes. it's quite nice. It's, it's cool. The captioning continues. Then the completed weapon is given into the waiting hands of Superman to be carried into the endless depths of space. There to be charged with the awesome energies of the universe. And we see Superman, Doctor Fate, and both Green Lanterns in space. Dr. Fate is lifting one hand and the nebula rod is glowing, so that's presumably what's going on. And at last, mankind's final hope of survival stands ready to use. As the Crimson Avenger explains to everyone else, we can see the Red Tornado standing in the background examining the nebula rod. The Crimson is saying, The nebula rod must be delivered by hand into the heart of the menace, but that produces a major problem, for nothing human could survive the resulting explosion. Superman replies, saying, That's no problem. I'm invulnerable to everything. Ow! A little lightning burst blasts at his chest from Dr. Fate, who says, Everything saved magic, Superman. In the background, we see the Red Tornado was still contemplating the Nebula Rod. Green Lantern Hal Jordan says, Then I'll go. My power ring will protect me from the blast. Green Lantern Alan Scott says, So would mine. Why shouldn't I go? But in the next panel, the Earth One Green Arrow shoots them both down, saying, but neither of your rings would protect you from this. A yellow wooden arrow. A combination of both your weaknesses. And so Justin, the Shining Knight, offers... Nor would Merlin's magic armor protect me from destruction. And Green Lantern, Alan Scott, asks in frustration... Then what exactly can we do? But Batman answers GL, saying... Nothing. The problem has been solved for us. Batman is holding a piece of paper. The Flash exclaims... What? The Nebula Rod is gone! Starman says, And so is the Red Tornado. Black Canary, thinking ahead, says, Oh no, he couldn't have. But he did. He took the Nebula Rod and left this note in its place. The Wonder Woman of Earth 2 says, 
What does it say, Batman? And surrounded by other heroes, Batman starts to read. My friends, when you read this, it will be too late to stop me. I have taken the nebula rod and gone to face my destiny alone. You said nothing human could do what must be done and survive. Then perhaps I have a better chance than most. Panel 4 shows the Red Tornado whirling through space with the nebula rod in his hand. In the distance is the earth in the grasp of the giant green hand as Batman continues to read. An android is not human. If I perish, all that will be lost is some circuitry and gears. If I am successful, I will see you all soon. If I am not, remember me, your friend, the Red Tornado. That's all it says. Batman scrunches up the note. Wonder Woman and Canary can be seen looking very distressed as Black Canary says, Maybe it's not too late. Maybe there's still time to help him. I'm afraid nothing can help him now. And the sounds of muffled weeping are lost amid the echoes of the blast. A slow dissolve. And a short while later... Superman, Starman and Doctor Fate flying back into views. Hawkman and Aquaman are watching. Hawkman says... How did it go up there? Superman replies, they vanished. Both of them. The Nebulite Hand and Red Tornado. Starman says... The force of the explosion must have torn each of them to atoms. A very sad and forlorn-looking hour man says, All the times I put him down, consider him just a machine. He was more of a man than any of us. The Crimson puts a hand on his shoulder and says, I know how you feel, hour man. I lost a good friend too. And the final panel of the story shows the assembled heroes looking up to the sky as the Crimson concludes, And somewhere, somehow... Red Tornado and Wing both know how we feel. And in the sky, we see large images of Red Tornado and Wing waving farewell to their friends. And a caption reads, Next issue, A Stranger Walks Among Us. We'll get to issue 103 eventually. There we have it, the conclusion Mm. of the 1972 Justice League, Justice Society, Seven Soldiers of Victory crossover. We'd like to thank all of our friends and fellow podcasters for joining in and taking part. We hope you enjoyed contributing to this as much as I didn't enjoy editing it. <laughs> yes, there'll be some more of that next week when we're going to, Peter and I are going to reconvene and do our little post-match discussion of each issue, talk about the contemporary correspondence and talk about some more stuff with the Seven Soldiers of Victory and hopefully there'll be some contributions from some of our other contributors. In the meantime... Make sure you follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and at Twitter we're at podcast underscore Earth 2 because we will still be posting lots of lovely bonus material for you to check out absolutely we hope, really hope you've enjoyed these last few episodes it's been <laughs> an absolute labor putting it together <laughs> thanks to, again to everyone who's, who's helped us out we started recording this i think in february and it's great to get them finally released and out there mm-hmm. we've had a great time we hope you enjoy listening we'll see you next week as i say for the, the post-match roundup on that bombshell i've been peter yes that bombshell it just destroyed the red tornado yes i've been david thanks so much for listening we'll see you soon take care this has been the Earth 2 Podcast! You've been listening to Ali Steele as Satana, Brandon Peters as the Earth 2 Green Lantern and Star Spangled Kids, and Christine Panton as Diana Prince and Cersei, Chuck Loridans as Green Arrow of Earth 1, Dan Butcher as the Shining Knight, and Gavin Ritzer as Hal Jordan, Green Lantern of Earth 1 and the Thunderbolt, Jonathan Horner as the Earth 2 Robin. Kelly Blair as Black Canary, 
and Logan McFarlane as Speedy. Ranger Gord Tolton as the Vigilante. Ross Aitken as Starman. Steve Higgins as the Crimson Avenger. And Johnny Thunder. David Steele as Flash, Superman, Wildcats, Hourman, The Iron Hand, Earth 2 Wonder Woman and Mr Terrific. And your very own Peter Watson as Aquaman, Red Tornado, Doctor Fate, Hawkman, Batman and The Oracle. All other parts were played by your exhausted hosts. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. It should be a splendid super speed struggle. <laughs> Would as I could remain to witness it. But there are other matters that demand Cersei's attention immediately. I look forward to us getting review bombed when Christine is unable to record Cersei's lines and we have to use your dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good, but the performance of Cersei by Peter really took me out of it. Sagam to trap the. There you go. This is your first outtake. Sagam. <laughs>